Welcome to today's Community Cast. My name is Matt Morgan. I'm the pastor at Community Brookside, a new church plant in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We are so blessed by your presence, and we hope that today's content will bring you joy. So before we get going too far, let's talk about in excelsis Deo, right? Right? So... I have always, like my whole life, I've always wondered what that phrase means. Anybody have any idea what you think that phrase might mean? Anybody speak Latin in here? Anybody? No? Maybe they're excited. <laughs> Maybe they're excited. Okay, that's yes. But what does the word, what do the words actually mean, right? I've always wondered this and I've never ever thought to look it up. I've never ever in my whole life, I've always been like, huh, what is that? Uh, I don't really care, right? <laughs> I don't know if you guys are like me at all, but, uh, but that phrase, Gloria in excelsis Deo, has always kind of confused me. So I decided this week that I would look it up. And so when I did, according to the interwebs, uh, the phrase Gloria in excelsis Deo is Latin word. It's a Latin phrase meaning glory to God in the highest. It's just Latin. It's the same thing we've heard throughout scripture for generations. It's just Latin. It's a phrase that actually comes to us from the title of a Christian hymn called the Greater Doxology or the Angelic Hymn or the Hymn of the Angels. The name is often abbreviated Gloria in Excelsis or simply Gloria. Okay, so it comes from a hymn that uh, it's an ancient hymn that the, the Roman Catholic Church has sung for hundreds and thousands of years. Well, hundreds and a thousand plus years, right? Um, so glory to God in the highest is the announcement of the angels that we read about in Luke chapter two. So we remember from last week, who do, who do the angels come to? I'm sorry. I, I hear mumbling, but I know you know it. Shepherds, right? So the angels come and show up to shepherds, normal people, kind of guys and, and, and gals like us in this room, people who were normal and sinful, not super wealthy, not politically powerful. They weren't elite. God shows up in the lives of the average and ordinary people like you and I. So let's read together in Luke chapter two. It'll be on the screen. And this is the whole Christmas story uh, as found in Luke. So it's Luke one or sorry, Luke two, one through 21. Here's what it says. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was a governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth and Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those whom his favor rests. 
When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. Gloria in excelsis Deo, glory to God in the highest. We hear that in this hymn, glory to God. Not to anybody else, glory to God. So it's a song that we have sung, I don't know, every Christmas since I was a baby and a long time before that, right? When we sing that song, Angels We Have Heard on High, the refrain of that song or the repeating part of the song, the Gloria phrase, it's most, that is the most important part of the song. Now, it's really interesting that the verses kind of tell us a little bit about what's happening, right? So if you go back to the song, it starts out with Angels We Have Heard on High, Sweetly Singing, or The Plains... And the mountains reply, echoing their, their joyous strains. The next part is, shepherds, why are you so excited, right? Why this jubilee? Why your joyous strains prolong? What the glad, glad tidings be, which inspire your heavenly song. So it's, it's just like pieces of the Christmas story. And then this repetition of glory to God in the highest. Glory to God for bringing us hope and love and joy. And today we talk about peace. And what is peace on earth? So today we lit the candle of peace in our Advent wreath, but I think, <clears throat> I don't really think that we actually really truly understand what peace means. What do you think of when you think of peace? Surely some of us have ideas of what peace looks like or sounds like or is. Serenity, serenity quiet, actually serenity. This is, we're going to talk about that in a minute, but yes. What are the, what other things do you think of? Yeah. The absence of stress or peace, like the, the, I think the most generalized definition of peace is the absence of conflict or the absence of war, right? So in America, I think that our understanding of peace is kind of limited. Oftentimes we look to just be an absence of war. And I think that's a, a, a good starting point for us, an absence of conflict. But I think the definition of peace goes way deeper and just the absence of battling people to the death, right? So I think that peace can sometimes be defined as a period of time. When was there peace in America? If you think about it, when, is, when is, has there ever been a, a time in the United States where there's been a time of peace, right? So I, I got to asking myself that question, and, and I don't know about you guys, but I remember back in 2003 when the war on terrorism was declared, right? And it's been kind of this never-ending battle against the forces of evil in our world since then. And then I began to think a little bit more, like, how often in the world are there conflicts? Are there battles? Are there wars? Civil unrest? Uh, uprisings? Protests? I mean, like, we've even seen that here at home over the last six months, right? 
So I recently ran across an article that was written in 2011. So I just saw it, but it was written in 2011. And the title of this uh, article was called America Has Been at War 93% of the Time, 222 out of 239 Years, Since 1776. So I had to kind of read this article, and it was really good because there wasn't a whole lot of words in this article. It was just uh, a lot of dates. And it was dates of skirmishes, wars, um, incursions, uh, uprisings, and things that America, our country, has been a part of since 1776. And according to the math, the title of this article is correct. We have been at war with somebody 93% of the time that we've been a country. Have you really ever known peace? Right? And so that kind of has a double-edged sword. Because for most of us, I don't think that we, we experience war like other countries do, right? Because it's not very often that somebody invades our, our land. Usually, it's us going somewhere else to help fight a battle or to, you know, uh, support our allies or to fight against terrorism in, in places where there are hot beds of terrorist activity. So we experience war like I don't think many other countries do, right? We've all heard stories about, um, especially in the Middle East where there's constant unrest, where people have to leave their communities because they were afraid of being murdered by terrorists. And you heard just a few years ago about the hundreds of thousands of refugees who traveled from their home country to countries in Greece and, or you know, in, the, in the EU, like Greece and uh, France and Germany, and they, they needed to escape the hardships that were facing them at home. They, for a lot of young people, they've never experienced peace, a life without war, right? If we shift our own perspective and we look worldwide, we could kind of get a more accurate picture of what the state of humanity is in. Did you know there are currently over 35 million modern-day slaves? It was a number that blew me away. 35 million slaves throughout the world do things like they work in diamond mines. Some of them are part of the sex trade. Some are used to mine minerals that we have in our cell phones. There are wars going on all around the planet. Currently, the Council on Foreign Relations is tracking 27 conflicts that are jeopardizing U.S. interests around the world. So these are just 27 conflicts that impact us. And there's 27 right now. Peace is rare, I think. Peace is wonderful when we can get it. But I think that the definition of peace that we have is just one small portion of what peace really can and should look like. The word peace appears 237 times in the Old Testament. And even with its first appearance, the word peace kind of challenges our understanding of what peace is. So the first time we ever see the word peace, it's in the book of Genesis, the very beginning of the Bible. And we find it in Genesis 15, 15. And it's a really weird scripture. Here's what it says. The scripture reads, as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. Do you think a lot about peace when you think about death? 
I often don't think that death is peaceful because if we look at death around the world, a lot of times it's, it's people who are older or infirmed. And a lot of times when you think about people on their deathbed, it's not usually peaceful or wonderful. Usually there's a lot of doctors involved and attendants uh, who have to take care of the needs of people who are dying. I don't usually think of death as being peaceful. And here God is using those two words, death and peace, in the same sentence. And you got to think that God is up to something. Because he kind of always is, right? Anybody know what the word in Hebrew is for peace? Jeff James, I'm sure you're like typing it right this second. The Hebrew word for peace, you've all heard it. It's shalom, right? It's shalom. And according to Strong's Concordance, it means completeness, soundness, and good welfare. It comes from the root word shalem, which means to make amends or to make whole or to make complete, right? So when you put shalom and shalem together, the, the word from which it comes, you have this beautiful state of wholeness or completeness without any lack. You have everything you need, no deficiency. Shalom is frequently used in the Old Testament in reference to the wellness of others. Sometimes it's translated as well-being or welfare. In Jewish culture, uh, people use the word shalom in greeting. Peace, peace to you, right? Shalom. Jesus in the New Testament, um, if you hear Jesus speak, a lot of times there's the word shalom, there's peace be to you, peace unto you. A lot of times people greet one another with the word shalom. Or they say goodbye to one another, shalom, peace, peace go with you. So likewise, does anybody know what the New Testament is written in? What language? Hebrew and Greek, Greek right. So the Old Testament is Hebrew, the New Testament is mostly Greek. And the Greek scholars have a word that uh, means the same thing or very similar. It's called Irene, and it's spelled very strangely, and you'll probably never be able to look it up unless you have like the little, whatever those notes are over the E's, like the little tilt marks or whatever the, I don't know, it's spelled really weird. E-I-R, E with a thing over it, and E with a thing over it. So, and according to the, the dictionary concordance, Irene means at one, it means quietness, peace, and rest. It originates from the word iro, which means to join or to tie together, to make two things one, to turn something that's broken into something that's whole. Therefore, irene means unity. It's bringing a bunch of different pieces together to form something that is a complete picture of something new. For example, two friends potentially who uh, have been in a fight for a long time, when they reconcile, You've made right that relationship. You've brought the two broken pieces back together. You've made Irene. You've made peace. So this is what peace means. It's not just an absence of battling. It's not just an absence of war. Peace means a complete feeling of wholeness where everything has been made well and you live in this state of just contentment. Contentment. 
It means so much more than I think we've ever thought it really has meant. And today on this Sunday when we light the peace candle, we're reminded that the angels spoke to us. Peace. The announcement comes to us in verse 14, Luke chapter 2, where the angels say, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom His favor rests. Completeness, or completeness, lack of nothing, wholeness, serenity. The word serenity comes from irene. It's got that same kind of root word in it. The angel shared the best news that the world has ever heard to shepherds. That the coming of the Savior meant that there would be peace on earth. For the shepherds out in their fields... Peace is not something they would have really understood either, right? Because their whole lives, they're surrounded by sheep who are constantly, bah, 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 and they're always running into trouble, and there's, you know, sheep poo everywhere, and they're always, you know, at, at, in danger of, like, being destroyed by tigers and bears and wolves, and probably not tigers, those are more Asian, but, you know, you get what I'm saying. They lived a life just out in their fields that was not representing peace, right? They were always worried about something. They always feared for their lives. They always feared for the, the well-being of their sheep. They had worries of, you know, about things back home. They had to provide you know, food and, and lodging for their families, for themselves. They would have not really ever understood what peace was. And the angels are saying, get ready because peace is here. The shepherds lived in constant trouble from foreign rulers and empirical officials who brought fear into the lives of not just shepherds, but all people who are not Roman citizens. There would have loomed over the Jewish people of the day a fear of potential death for anything that they did wrong or said wrong that would have displeased the occupiers, right? Doubt and fear were a constant state of life for the Jewish people. And in this moment where one of the harshest regimes in all of ancient, the ancient world is now in charge of this small country in the Middle East, God breaks in. And the angels bring a message of peace and hope and joy to the whole world through the Jewish people. And what's great is that message that the angels brought of peace wasn't just for the Jewish people, it was also for us. Even 2,000 years later, peace should be a part of our lives as Christian people. So I ask you a question this morning. Does Christmas bring you peace? I want you to think about that for a minute. Does your Advent season, as you prepare for the coming of the Christ child again, does it bring you wholeness? Does it bring you well-being? Does it bring you joy? Do you spend time with an overwhelming feeling that your life has been brought back into a state of oneness or a completeness? Do you forget the things that you lack? Do you and your family sit in this state of rest at all?
So for me, Christmas is always a really hard season for people who work in a church because it's the busy season, right? Easter and Christmas, that's our two big, big times a year. And don't get me wrong, like, I, I brought this on myself. Like, I love the church, and I, this is a, a, a calling that I've answered, and this is a job that I love. But let me give you an example of what Christmas Eve looks like in my house, right? So depending on the year, uh, if there's a pandemic or not, uh, it kind of di- dictates the number of services that are done. So I'll just talk about last year. So last year, um, luckily, I was able to only do uh, two Christmas services. So I did one here at 7, and then we went downtown, and a lot of the, the band, so like Kim and Kyle were there, and Gage was there, and a number of folks who were in the band went downtown, and we did um, a Christmas Eve service at 11 p.m., it was beautiful. It was great. It was wonderful. But again, like, so we had to prepare for a seven o'clock service and we had to take everything, all our instruments, all of our iPads, all of our candles, all of our lighters, all of those things. We had to take them downtown. We set up down there and we did this beautiful service down there too. It was very busy, right? And inevitably something gets forgotten, right? So you have to go back and get communion elements. You forgot. Uh, Last year, I think we had like this little tiny baby bottle of uh, communion juice in here because we couldn't find the right bottle and everything was closed down. And, you know, there's always just something that wants to throw a wrench in the peace of the season. Last year was an easy year. There have been years where I've done four or five Christmas services, like starting at 3 p.m. and then at 5 p.m. and then at 7 p.m. and then one at 11 o'clock. Like it's it's crazy sometimes. And I forget that the angels promised us peace, this, this feeling of completeness and wholeness and rest. And it wasn't just for the shepherds. It wasn't just for people who don't work in the church. That's a promise for all of us. It's a promise for me too, that even in the midst of the craziness that we can still find peace. We can find that rest. We can find that completeness. We can find that, that forgetting of anything that we lack. Then after the candles are normally blown out on Christmas Eve, then it's Matt Morgan running home to desperately wrap the presents that I still have to wrap because there's always something, right? And then it's hurrying to get those things under the tree so that Santa can come, so I can get in bed and, and Santa can show up. The peace that is a part of Christmas is often forgotten by all of us. I imagine that all of us need a reminder of the glorious peace that is promised to us, especially on Christmas. So coming back to today, on a Christmas where many of us won't get to be with our families, Some of us may even be in quarantine right now. Some may be suffering from side effects of the coronavirus. On a Christmas like this in 2020, I pray that we may each in some new and wonderful way experience the peace that is promised to us by the angels so long ago. A peace that is different than any type of peace the world is accustomed to. A type of peace that brings about shalom. And Irene, the peace that can only come from a God who wants to restore our broken relationship with him. So I don't know what you have dealt with these last few weeks in Advent. For some of you, it's been the busiest time of your year. 
For some of you, it might have been the busiest time in your whole life. But I pray that in this time, you're able to find rest and find peace. I pray that in this season, you're able to find what God wants for each one of us, not just a lack of conflict, not just a lack of war, but something that is whole. A peace that surpasses all understanding and meets us where we are and draws us into relationship even deeper with a God who loves us through a baby who was born this week, 2,000 years ago. May we each, in these next coming days, experience a new feeling of peace in our lives for this season that reflects and refreshes our souls and brings God's rest into our lives in a real and tangible way. May each of us this season remind the world that our God requires us to be people of peace. And I know that's a lot to live up to. It's a big ask. God, give us your peace for real. But if we mean it, if we ask that in prayer, God will deliver. Shalom, friends. Thank you so much for joining us on today's Community Cast. We hope that you were blessed by today's conversation. If you'd like to know more about Community Brookside, please feel free to visit us at our website, communitybrookside.com, or find us on your favorite social media outlet. We hope to hear from you soon. Be blessed.